All right, Luke 5. Let's jump right back in here. Luke 5, verse number 1. So it was that as multitudes pressed about him to hear the word of God, that is, they were coming to listen to Jesus teach, that as he stood by the lake of Gennesaret, that is, the Sea of Galilee, Jesus is teaching on the shores of the Sea of Galilee. There's a large crowd. And he says that Jesus saw two boats standing by the lake, but the fishermen had gone from them, and they were washing their nets, which was common practice of a fisherman at the end of their day. They would fish the night, fish the early morning, and then by daytime they would clean their nets. And that meant their workday was done. But it was a quite extensive effort to clean those nets. But Jesus saw that some of those boats were empty because they were, the owners of them were washing their nets. And he got into one of those boats, and it wasn't a coincidence. He picked the boat of Simon Peter. And this boat that was Simon's, he asked him if he could put out a little bit from the land just to get a little bit off the shoreline. And he sat down, and Jesus used it as a bit of a, of a floating podium and platform. And he taught the multitudes from the boat. And it's a very picturesque, beautiful uh, scene of Jesus teaching. We can see it in our mind's eye, sitting on the boat, his words amplifying on the water, the surrounding little natural amphitheater of the hillside, a crowd of people listening to him teach. And as he sat down with all the, you know, the colors of the Sea of Galilee, which are so beautiful. There's these pastels, and sun is out, and it's blue and grays, and, and it's just a, it's just got a, a, a beauty to it. It's very unique. And when Jesus was done teaching, it says that as he was teaching them from the multitudes, when he was finished, when he had stopped speaking, verse 4, that he then turned to Simon, who was the owner of one of the boats, Simon Peter, and he said to him, I want you to go back out again. Launch out, in fact, into the deep waters, and, and I want you to go ahead and let your, your nets out and, and get a catch. Um, and, and now, you got to understand, and we talked about this in depth last week, if you recall, that what a significant moment this was going to be for Peter because he was an expert fisherman. He was a man of the, of the sea. That's what he had worked his entire life. There's one thing he knew. He knew fishing, and he knew that what Jesus was asking him to do went against every rule in the book. And so he kind of put up in his own way a protest. We call it a small, a small fight, a fisherman's protest. When Jesus suggested that he relaunch that boat uh, into, into the deep and then get the nets that they had spent a lot of time cleaning, throw them back out that they were going to get a big catch. It was like Peter's first response, you can tell, is reluctance. Because look what he says in verse 5. But Simon answered and he said to him, Master, you know, you know, you know, we've, we've been working all night, and uh, we've worked really hard, and we've had a bad night. It's been a, not a good night. We've worked all night long. We've fished this waters, and, you know, we've caught nothing. We've cleaned the nets already. Um, you, you probably already are aware of that, but nobody fishes during the daytime when the sun shines on the nets. The fish see them. I mean, come on. You're, you, you're not really serious. You go, yes, I want you to go back out in the waters, Peter. And you get the impression that Peter is realizing that he's not going to talk Jesus out of this. So he says, well, all right, all right, whenever, if that's what you want, never, look at that. Nevertheless, okay, I don't, the implication is, I don't really want to do this. It's kind of going to be a waste of our time. But if that's really what you are insisting on, of course, we'll do it. Let's get the nets, and they go back out there, and they go forward. And then, of course, Peter obeyed. But if I can say it, I think um, it was, or at least it certainly appears to be, a half-hearted Obedience. It was more of a, a reluctant compliance with the request of Jesus, born more out of duty. It was like, I'll do it because you want me to, but not because I expect anything to happen, because you really didn't. And that's what's going to set the table for what we see here. Peter obeyed, and, but I suspect that as they were moving their way out into the deep waters, that 
that he had already expected in his own mind to come back with empty nets. And so he probably was rehearsing his speech, you know, Lord, you're, you're an expert at many things. At this we all agree. Your words are the words of life. God speaks through you. We, we believe you're Messiah. But when it comes to fishing, you see, now fishing, this is my domain. This is what I know. I know where the fish are at. And this is one thing. I mean, I really know my fishing. This is what I've done my whole life. This is what I'm an expert at. You just got to trust me on this. And so you can imagine this shock because, you know, we go back to something here and, and we, you know, we ask ourselves this question. How many of us have ever done something, in, in, in one sense, something that we feel like God wanted us to do, but we were doing it more out of obligation, is sort of half-hearted and not with a good, a, 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 a deep conviction of it, but going through because I'm supposed to do it. And my, one of the things I've come to the conclusion of in my life with God is that too much of that is death dealing at a spiritual level. If we decide to do something for the Lord, we need to throw our heart into it. It, it, to do something halfway or with a bad attitude is to just is to miss, miss the blessing that it was meant to be. It's sort of like God never intends our life with him to be one of just obligation. He, he does call us to places of obedience, but it is an obedience that's birthed out of, out of love and devotion, not one out, of, out of, a, of sort of forced, I'll do it if you're making me do it. It misses the whole joy. It's like singing a song without the melody. It, it, it's missing the point. The Christian life is not meant to be lived out of obligation and guilt. It was meant to be lived out of love, joy, and out of life. And to see that even when we restrain ourselves from something, it's, it's for a point of breakthrough and expansion in our own heart. Jesus is about to teach Peter something that he teaches all of us when we're tempted to do things. And, and I would say this, it's not just something we do for the Lord. It might be something, anything. Some of us may have been asked to do something on the job. Some, somebody asked us in the home, and, and we don't really want to do it. But, you know, all right, you know, yes, I'll do it, I'll do it, I'll do it. But it's, it's half-heartedly, and it's with a bad attitude. And um, basically, because what we're really saying is, you know what, I really don't want to do this. And my body language is going to show you that I really don't want to do this. I'll do it, but I really don't want to do it. In fact, it's a waste of my time. I think that's part of what, in other words, with Peter, I think it was a dutiful compliance. And, and can you imagine when we, what, what happens when we get to verse 6? It says that when they, when, after they had done this, you know, they get out there to the deep waters, look at verse 6. It says they caught a, a great number of fish. In fact, there were so many fish that came up that it says that their net was being stressed to the point of breaking. And, and so Peter and, and Andrew, it would seem, and, and whoever else was with them, signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and to help them. And they came and they filled those boats so much fish were in those boats that they got perilously close to the water line and could have, could have sunk if they had gotten a little more weight on them. It was a big catch. And, I, and again, I, that's the picture. Here is Peter, absolutely stunned. The one area in his life, and imagine if, if it was our life, and someone were to ask you, what are you, is there an area of your life that you feel the absolute most confident? What would it be? What area would that be? What things do you feel, you know what, I'm pretty confident in this area. In this area, I know what I'm doing. Here was Peter in the one area where he held, if you can put it, supreme confidence. And now Jesus had exposed him, stripped him bare, overwhelmed him. And it's where we stopped off last week with Peter shocked at what had just happened. But there was more to this exchange. Because clearly it meant more than just the miracle itself, just more than just 
finding the fish, it was something else. Something inside of Peter was also breaking. As real as the stress on those nets were, there was something also inside of Peter in this moment that was really interacting with Jesus. And it's an intense moment, a passionate moment. Let's look at it together. For It creates one of these moments of most just honest exchanges recorded in all the Gospels. Let's look at it in verse number 8 of the same chapter. It says that when Simon Peter saw it, he, he, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, depart from me because I'm, I'm, a, I'm a sinful man, O Lord. And, and he and all who were with him were just astonished at, at the catch of fish, at the sheer amount which they had taken. And we got to just kind of let this scene settle into our imagination. The boat, it's just full. Uh, it's, it's lurching back to the shoreline. It's heaped high with this silvery cargo that is glistening in the sun of the midday. And it's a stunning sight to behold. And Peter is processing it. And we were, some of us were talking about this moment because we're, we know that there's a gap between when they make their way back to the shore with all the fish on the boat and, and then Peter getting to the feet of Jesus or to his knees and just coming down and saying, depart from me, I'm, I'm a sinful man. What do you have to do with me, someone like me compared to someone like you? There's this extremely honest moment. Now, did Peter get off that boat? And just, you know, in my mind's eye, I see him just kind of just overwhelmed emotionally, this strong man of tremendous contradictions inside of him running to Jesus and saying, what kind of man are you? And, 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 and what do you have anything to do? What do you, what do you, you know, it says that he just bows himself down. It's like he throws himself open. Depart from me because I'm a, I'm a simple man. Inside of me are contradictions. You know me. It's powerful. Now, or did he just kind of make his way out of that thing, stunned until he gets to Jesus, and then he's just standing there almost saying nothing and just says, don't have anything to do with me. Don't have anything to do with me. You know, it's just powerful moment of expression. In fact, part of us is caught off guard because it's like, wow, Peter, I mean, isn't that kind of a, a really heavy reaction to this? And what, think about it, what gets him to go from that, that moment to where he gets to, the, to Jesus and he's basically saying, don't have anything to do with me, I'm just, I'm, you, I'm, I'm a sinful man, I'm a man of contradictions, you can, you can find somebody else. I mean, it's, a, it's, it's this amazing exchange. And it almost seems that when Peter begins to see Jesus for who he was, the captain, even in the area of his own expertise, that he begins to also see himself for what he wasn't. And it's like, why would you be interested in me? I have nothing to offer you that you need. It's quite possible that he had always in the past, and I think it shows out, that Peter at times would have a, had a high estimation of himself. It, amongst his peers, he was kind of a leader. Peter, Peter had a confidence about him at times that would even create a certain degree of recklessness. Like, I know what I'm talking about. And I think, he was, I think he was a person who maybe, it's part of him considered himself special. If I can put it this way, and I maybe am taking a little bit of liberty here, but maybe in his own mind, using the language of a fisherman, he considered himself a really good catch, right? <laughs> For Jesus. You know, like, you know, Jesus has someone like me following him. I'm, you know, I, I have certain qualities about me, right? And he could do a lot worse. And then, and then, and then, and then to see this, this moment here when he, this kind of 
subtle low-grade pride that sort of characterized Peter's life, this kind of stronghold of, of um, how would we say it, self-confidence. It was just part of who he was as a person. Just to, just to have it, you know, so radically smashed in this exchange. I mean, I think, I think he's gripped by an almost overwhelming sense of his personal lack. That's what's clearly being articulated here, especially when it becomes apparent to him that the gap between he and Jesus was far greater than he had initially perceived. Wow. Who are you? In the area I know best, you know better. And I'm thinking, and maybe there was all kinds of stuff going on in him as he was going out there. Okay, God, do this thing again, you know. Go throw the nets out there. We spent all day cleaning. Maybe he was griping all along the way. You know, everybody knows you don't fish. Maybe there were people on the shore, his peers, looking at him going, what an, what an idiot, going back out in the water when no one, everybody knows you don't go out there and fish. You wasted all your time. And he's, no, I don't know all the things that were going on in his mind. All I know is by the time he's back on the shore with Jesus, he's going, I don't know anything. I thought I knew, but I don't know. You know. And, why don't, and I don't even know why you want me. What good am I to you? He's this powerful swing of emotion. Felt, if, if I could put it this way, he felt more than humbled. That reaction is not just the reaction of a man who's humbled. It's a reaction of a, of a person who at some level feels ashamed. Ashamed. And then what does Jesus say to him? It's the reason why we selected the passage in light of the series that we've been exploring because we've been talking about the times where Jesus says, fear not. Our theme has been fearless. And what does Jesus say to him in the middle of this, this, this confession of like total unworthiness on the part of Peter, which I think some of us have felt at times before God, you know, I'm no good, Lord. I mean, I don't get that. I get that. In the middle of that confession, you know what the Lord says to him? Peter? He says, and, and, and it says here, for the he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken, and so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And then Jesus said to Simon in this moment, listen to me, look at me, you look at me, you do, you, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid, because from now on, I'm, 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 I'm going to have you catch men. I'm going to people. You're going to touch people, men and women, for me. And, and it's like, afraid of what? Why did Jesus say that? I mean, all the responses he could have said, but why does he say, listen, Peter, don't let fear lay hold of you. It was, I think at some level, it was a fear of, don't be afraid of what you lack. I know you. I love you. I've called you. None of your stuff is hidden from me. I see it. I still call you to me, and I've got work for you to do for me. It's a beautiful thing. Now, let me just put some things on the board around this because I think it's really a beautiful confession on the part of Peter. And we've talked about the value of what, uh, what it means to just be broken before God. You know, oh, I think it was St. Augustine who called it the O Beata Culpa, the blessed fault that breaks us of our pride and opens up our heart to God. You know, I'll, I'll just start to say this, let me just say this as our first thought here, is that there really is no substitute for a broken and a humble spirit before God, you know. We often talk about something broken, and it's, once we say, ah, oh, it's just broke, you know, it broke. It's just, we say, sometimes we say, well, it's just no good anymore. Just toss it out. Sometimes we say it's broken, but can it be fixed? Yeah, it can be fixed, but 
you know, we repair it, but it, it's never going to be what it was. Because a lot of times we think of something broken, it's not a good thing, right? It's bad. I mean, so it, was, it, it's not, it's a, it got messed up. Now, here, you know what? There is a brokenness that is beautiful. And it's the brokenness of what happens when our pride is sort of just crushed and our heart flies open to God. And that level of brokenness creates movement at a spiritual level that is deep and true. It's like when the Lord said, you know, to all of us, you know, in a way, blessed are those who are broken. You know, the Bible says that God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Uh, David said on the edge, on the backside of one of his great failures in a moment of sheer desperate repentance that's recorded in Psalm 51, part of what he declared was, Lord, a broken and a contrite heart, I know you will not despise. Even though I'm so unworthy of you right now, I know that if I come low and soft and humble and broken as I am, you will hear me. And he did. And so it is with the Lord. There is really no substitute for it. You know what we talk about coming to the end of ourselves? And that's why I say to people, I, I say to someone, I say, you know, sometimes it's the place of brokenness when we feel most ashamed. We feel like Peter, Lord, what do you want to do with, what do you have with me? I'm, I, look what I just did. I got no place coming to you. Sometimes we feel so ashamed, we don't even feel like we should come to the Lord's house. We feel like we've been living such a contradiction. And it's good for us to also at least acknowledge, can't get better to acknowledge a problem. We all agree. But at the same time, the Lord never says, you get your act together and then you come to me. I, I really don't see that. He says, come to me as you are. Come to me as honestly and as authentically as you can and, and let me work in your life. The blessing of the broken is we don't have to be fake. We can be very real with God. Jesus said, don't be afraid of me. If you have see, don't be afraid of God. He says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Don't be afraid of God. My arms are open wide. In fact, they were going to be very opened very wide. He'd give everything. But the, the truth is, the Lord, a lot of times the broken places in our lives are actually the places in our lives where the real breakthrough take, takes place. You'll hear us say a phrase in our church community every now and then. We say, we say you know, we're talking about the, the you know, breakdown that leads to the breakthrough that leads to the breakout. And there are these moments where we come to places in our lives where we break, we break, you know, kind of break down. But that break there, that, that, that breakdown is a product a lot of times of something that happens in our lives that produces a kind of, if we, if we handle it right and go to God with our, in our hurt and in our pain, we, it creates possibility of breakthrough. And then that breakthrough can become a prelude to a season of breakout where God begins to just do a, a really amazingly expansive things inside of us that were connected to a brokenness that was a result of something that we didn't really want in the first place to happen to us, maybe a pain, maybe a wound, maybe a relational uh, breakdown, maybe a revelation of our own unworthiness, like was the case with Peter, where he just feels like a failure, to be honest. How could I have doubted you? I was so confident. I knew so much better than you. You showed me for what I was, proud, arrogant. You stripped me down. Why do you want me? See, that's the point. Secondly, notice this. This is a great truth as well. It's a little bit of a different path, but notice this point. Some of us will connect with it more than others, and that is when the Lord calls us to follow him, he tends to call us, and do you see it here? He calls us out of the context of our lives. This is a really important piece because 
when, Peter, when Jesus says to Peter, Peter, I want you to follow me. I'm gonna, I want, you've been a fisherman all your life. Now I want you to do is I want you to take those same principles and I want you to apply them for me. And it's almost like he was saying to him, I'm going to use you kind of based upon who you are. I'm going to take the, 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 the who you are, Peter, and I'm going to use it. And I think in a way, his call of follow, followership, although it's always broadly the same, is usually tailored to the uniqueness of who we are. Because we all have a unique story, a unique path, a unique uh, experience that has been ours, and we know some things. Peter knew fishing. Peter had a formed character. He had a formed personality. He had a demeanor. It had been part of his, his shaping, his molding, his, his emergence as a man was connected to his experiences. You and I have, as men and as women, we have, we have things that have got us to this place. We've had, we have certain talents, capacities, gifts. We have certain experiences, backgrounds, upbringings. Um, we have had, along the way, formative uh, experiences that have shaped us in our, in our careers and in skill sets. And, and they're part of sometimes our hobbies and the things that we know and enjoy. These things collectively speak about who we are in this world of ours. And, and you know what I've noted is that Jesus usually uses, the, the language he speaks to us is through the, the fabric of our past and present experience. That when he uses us, he usually uses us as a sort of an expression of what we are in the framework of how, how we've emerged. So to Peter, what I, so what I'm trying to get at is to Peter, he uses the language of a fisherman. He says, this is what I want you to do for me. You've been catching fish all your life, and I know you know how to do it. Not as well as you thought you did, but you know how to do it. But I want to use you now to take those same principles, but I'm going to use them in a different way. And I can't help but think that the Lord has a path for all of us there are people that, you, that we can uniquely touch that maybe not too many people can touch because it's just sort of the way our life has been framed. It's who we are. It's the relationships we've established. It's, it's the kind of work that we've done. It's, and there are times where God, when we come to the Lord, sometimes he says, you know what, I just want you to make a break for a while. But there are other times where the Lord says, you know what, now I want you to take what you are and I want to move in your life and then I want you to become a representation of me in the circles of your life, in the daily world that you live, in the dailiness of your world, I want you to learn how to be an expression of my grace right there in the language of who you are. It's beautiful. And then, and then on top of that, let me point this out because Peter says, well, Lord, I'm not the guy you think I am. Number three, he believes in us. Listen, he believes in us even when we don't believe in ourselves or at least fear that we don't have what it takes. Peter says, ah, I go back to this, and again, I'm gonna just kind of push into this. Depart from me, I'm a sinful man, leave me alone. I'm not your guy, I'm not worthy, I'm stubborn, I'm proud, I'm a man of passions, I'm, I'm elemental, I'm raw. You don't know me, you know, I'm impulsive. You called me a rock when you first saw me. You said that's what I was when you laid your eyes on me, but, uh, but I'm not that. And, and you can build on other people, but you can't build on a man like me. That, listen, it's almost like Peter's saying this. Don't you know? We both know it. You can do better than me. You can do better than me. I, there are times we probably have felt that. Leave me alone. But you know what Jesus says to him? He says, I know exactly who you are, and I'm calling you to trust my word over your life. I'm calling you to trust me, what I can say I can do. I know you. 
He doesn't, he's not surprised. He didn't surprise me. I didn't, you didn't catch me off guard. And I get it, Peter, I know you, I love you, I've called you. And I think he says the same thing to every one of us. There are no surprises here. It's about, and this will be our la- and the last thing we'll put on the board, and it's, it's about this. It's about the Lord reminding us not to be afraid, but to trust his word over our lives. And to say, Lord, I, want, I really want to do that. He, he was saying to Peter, Peter, get your eyes off yourself. And you focus them back on me and what I'm saying you can be in me. I, some of us, you know, the Lord's asking us to trust him with ourselves. Some of us have tremendous struggle with self-doubt. Some of us have tremendous struggles with self-worth. I was talking to someone last night, and it was really good for me to hear the interaction after service because I was saying, hey, how did you? You were saying, I really got a lot out of that word. And I like to say to someone when I have a chance, I said, well, like, what, what did you feel like God was saying to you there? I was saying, well, I shouldn't struggle with my own value. And it was a very honest statement that I thought actually took quite a lot of courage to say it. So I don't think I'm really that worthy. And there's reasons for it. And I thought, you know, to, we, a lot of us struggle with fear and failures and past. Like, you know, I'm never going to get it right. I'm always going to let God down. I always fall back in the same patterns. It's what I do. You know, I have these reactions. They've been reactions that have been formed in my life, patterns of behavior. I'm weak when the right buttons are pushed. You know, I do this stuff. I, I can get, I fall into this pattern or I get, I do this and I've got a pattern now of doing these things when these things happen. And, and I'm really honestly, you know, I just, I fear me. I fear me. I don't really think God can really use me because honestly, um, I got a lot of stuff wrong inside of me. That's what I hear Peter saying. I'm not that, you know, and again, I'll say this. Some of, sometimes we struggle with things that are external. We're, what we're afraid of right now are things that are happening around us and maybe envision bad things. But a lot of times, the, really the hardest struggles in life are the ones that are happening inside of our own heart, the internal ones, things that are a product of our experiences, a product of our, of our uh, words that were said to us, failures, uh, uh, sins. Like Peter said, I feel handicapped. I feel like I'm being a hypocrite. Lord, I feel like if you use me, I'd be a hypocrite. I'm not the kind of guy that can be like you. I, get, I got stuff. That stuff inside of me, you know, it's, you know what's interesting, you guys, is this, is that Peter is like a, I don't know if you see it, he's like a pendulum. On the one hand, he can like, he has this issue of, I'm really good. And God really, you know, uh, I know what I'm talking about. And then on the other hand, he's prone to these swings way over to the other side. I'm nothing. I'm no good. I'm unworthy. Find some, I mean, and, bo- and, the, and he's sincere on, at both places. Right? He means both. I know. I mean, he even reproves Jesus later on and says, listen to me. I know what you should be doing, and that's not it. Right? And there's this moment, and then Jesus lays back into him. Says, you don't know anything. You don't even know yourself. You don't know what's coming. Powerful stuff, right? I'm saying as the Lord knows, and a lot of us, we struggle with stuff. We go back and forth. You know what the Lord was telling Peter? Just stay with me on this. He was saying, Simon, Simon Peter, what you need to do is surrender to my grace in your life. You need to surrender to my grace. When you're good, you're not that good. (laughs) And when you're bad, 
It's true, you may feel bad and you may have been bad, but I'm gonna tell you, it's about my grace in your life. Learn to live a life in my grace. Don't let your pride get out of hand, your arrogance, your sense of self-confidence, what you control, remember, remember this, don't ever forget this moment. What you knew best, I knew better. At the same time, when you fly into this, I'm no good, why use me? Remember, I love using people who are flawed because that's what I do. And in a way, we're all flawed. We're all sinners in need of a savior. That's just a fact. The best of us, and who can really say, all need the grace of God. So we come as honestly and as openly as we can, and we say, Lord, I'm opening my life to you. If you call, call me, I'll follow, and you are, and so I'm coming. I surrender to your grace. Work it in my life. Help me to be a growing man, a growing woman. Help me to learn, not make the same mistakes over and over again. Help me to break free of things. Live in your grace, the humble path of life. So we're going to close out. We're going to, we're going to have a song that's connected to the grace of God and, and we'll have our time of giving. But I'm going to go ahead and pray. Lord, I, I thank you so much for your, your words for us, good words for us, really good words for us, Lord. And I, and I just pray that we would not be afraid of, of what we lack a lot of times. And there, there is a good time for us to feel unworthy, I suppose, because it breaks our pride. But at the same time, Lord, you want to remind us that you have a path for us, a path of growth, a path of life, a path of blessing that you have words for us to speak in your name and people for us to touch in your name. And you call us to a growing place. And so I just want to ask that your grace would flow like a river over our lives, a healing stream. Um, help us to do what you were asking Peter to do, to surrender to your grace in our lives, all the days of our lives. Um, I just pray for your blessing. Bless this song that we close with. Bless our time of giving as we honor you together as a people. We ask for your goodness and grace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.